season three of the Strange Tonic Podcast. That's right. Even 2020 couldn't keep us down too much. How you doing? You hanging in there? You taking care of yourself? You not letting 2020 get in too much of you? I hope so. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you're all doing your best you can in these trying times. Again, welcome to season three. We're happy to be back. We hope you enjoy it. And as always, thanks to our friends Pan Astral for supplying the music that we use throughout the podcast. The intro here is Gulf of Mexico off of their album Suburban Blues. Check out Pan Astral on panastral.com, Pan Astral on iTunes, Pan Astral on SoundCloud, Pan Astral over your digital music. Black Lives Matter. Take care of yourself. Enjoy the podcast. And again, thank you. Welcome to Season 3. that like just i mean i don't even know what to think about that if this was just about any other administration i'd be fine with it but mm. the problem was they did that and then didn't do anything and also you had uh we've seen the reports now that kushner and company were mm-hmm. purposely not sending equipment to states and cities and stuff that were political rivals of them because they thought it would hurt them Oh, okay. Um, okay. So Yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And to me, what I thought was more needed was rather than, like, lock down the supply chain that's already there, was to incentivize making more. Oh. Which I know uh, you may have heard this. They had an NPR segment back in March, uh, you know, talking with a guy who owns a company that makes masks in the U.S., and he was like, we can't just turn it back on. He's like, because, you know, for years we just we had to keep cutting people, keep cutting lines, keep cutting facilities. And because, as were some presidents of uh, typically one party, <laughs> had been okay with paying companies to make reserves, mm-hmm. a, a certain party and a certain president said, why are we doing that? That doesn't seem smart. Why would we never need to plan for a disaster? Interesting. I wonder. Mm. I wonder who that is. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. What are your thoughts on the uh, what? What's that act they, that's called? It's mainly used during war, where they take over industries that are considered to be critical. Oh, I don't know. Like it's it's a commandeering, or mm-hmm. there's there's probably a different term for it. You know. I don't know. It's like the the only time I've ever really thought about it was during World War II. Mm-hmm. And in and in that, I don't want to oversimplify, but that seemed like such a positive outcome yeah. compared to what could have happened if there wasn't such a galvanized, you know, just really solid uniting of people uh, to fight that war in all capacities. Um, I guess it doesn't seem so bad. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking, like, again, 
he misses another op- he missed all the opportunities because he can't stay on message or even form a message for five seconds. But right. a lot of people were saying, no, frame this as like it's not a war, but this is about survival and mm-hmm. get the country behind not you know, as we said, not just wearing masks, but getting industries into building them, um, and people that are out of work, you mm-hmm. know, or companies that aren't doing much. Like there was another oh there was a French manufacturer up here in Washington made uh, state news as kind mm-hmm. of uh, one of Inslee's, hey, this company's doing the right thing, where their sales were massively down. So they were like, let's build masks and other things. And they, I believe, got some money from the state and also a lot of you know free press and free marketing of, hey, you should buy furniture from these guys because they also stepped up and started sewing masks at the same time. Right. And instead, what we got was this will all go away, this is the flu, Um, the the Democrats are making this political, Mm -hmm. and there was no, as you said, galvanizing message of unity. It was just, not even just a message of divisiveness, but incoherent divisiveness, where... Absolutely. Like, wait, what? Uh, (laughs) I'm thinking about the... uh, So a lot of Republicans are pointing out since when we're recording this is the day after it was announced that Kamala Harris was Joe Biden's pick for VP. Right. Whoa, look at the coverage the New York Times gave to Kamala Harris being selected versus what happened when they announced when Mike Pence was selected as Trump's VP. Uh, and <laughs> that had been kind of a two-week botched announcement where everyone knew about it, but they hadn't really announced it. Mm. And... Also, that was during the middle of unrest in Turkey. So a NATO country is having a coup. And like, also, you selected a the whitest of white guys from Indiana. Mm-hmm. Like, ha- what? But I just more to the point of the whole. They just stepped all over the message and that like runoff because, or running it out there because none of them can do anything competently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they go ahead. Go ahead. Like, there's a chapter about that in Tubin's new book too, oh. <laughs> where he's t- they're talking about how like the reasons for firing Comey, mm-hmm. and like <laughs> just all these things where like, hey, let's get uh, Rosenst- uh, Rosenstein to write this memo, and then let's put words in his mouth, and he's like, wait, what? I didn't say any of that. And then mm-hmm. people around him going, well, what, 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 why are you talking about all this and just making up lies? It's like, yeah, it's... totally. It's it. You're right. It's it. it and it's not even like um, necessarily like missed opportunities. It was purposefully ignored information. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting to me with someone who talks so much about how much he loves America and this almost grotesque hyper nationalism hugging the flag yeah just all that weird shit and and it's but it's never about caring about your fellow americans it's no. always about this hype it's like hyper nationalism and hyper individualism at the same time which is it, it literally makes no sense no um and if you look at the people that are in most of like supporting of them are the, like they're yes they're nationalists they're not generally like libertarians, though. They're not like don't tread on me types. They're mm-hmm. we want to make sure that 
I'm surrounded by people who agree with me and people who should be getting the stuff that they want or like, the, who, you know, the winners versus losers, you know, I've talked about before. So they are about collectivism for their group. Mm-hmm. There's none of this, like, whatever you want to call it, social or economic Darwinism. It's, I should be getting mine because I deserve it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The, the whole issue of, and I don't know, obviously I don't think anyone who's listening to this, unless they're brand new, is going to disagree <laughs> with this, but I don't know how you can look at the way this man has conducted himself, not just as president, but his entire life, and go, yeah, he cares about me. Yep. The second, you know, that I can't help him at all, he's not going to throw me to the bus or, like, or say that my wife is ugly and that my father helped assassinate Kennedy. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And that guy even came back to him. It's like, what? I know. It's just unbelievable sometimes. You know, but I, I almost wonder if we can kind of segue into... I was thinking about that too. I was like, where's yeah. our segue here? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, how did how did we even come up with this as a topic? The the idea of like the political savior or like this hero syndrome. Where did... How did we even land on that? Uh, my th- thought process going into it was, you know, this idea that Trump... Not just Trump voters have, but I think a lot more Americans seem to be into now... Maybe it's not just now, maybe it's always been this way, but I think it's coming to the surface where the executive, the strong man, will save everything. So, you know, mm-hmm. for Trump, it's just Congress needs to get out of his way and let him do it, and he'll fix everything. And if you're behind Trump, it's be- you're saying that the problem has been Congress. It hasn't been Trump's ineffectiveness. It's been because Congress won't let him do his job. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's mostly bunk. Uh, yes, the Democrats have been partisan, I, I say that also saying that the Republicans have been more so in for years. And if one side is telling you, we're going to do everything this crazy person tells you or tells us, and mm-hmm. it's partisan to go, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> then I think the partisanship on that side is fine. Uh, so there's that. And then also just in the age of, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm off of Facebook, and I'm not on Twitter as much. I still kind of scroll through it occasionally through the day. Mm-hmm. But there is this, I've seen it a lot uh, from mainly people who are against Trump, like myself, where, you know, Mueller was going to save us. And then there's been random people that were going to save us from Trump over and over and over again. It's like it's... Basically, anybody who testified during the impeachment mm-hmm. hearings, who all said such profound incredible things and we kind of nothing really changed mm-hmm. from it which is very unfortunate you know <laughs> and it's been very much overblown by the right as far as this person's influence but there were some people that for maybe a week or two thought that michael avenatti's way to like fluster trump was somehow like shows that he knows how to fight against him Mm. No, no. The way to uh, beat a con man is not with another con man. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that was where I kind of was thinking of it. And, um, again, I'm not trying to both sides everything here, but there was some, too, of, like, the kind of Bernie camp where you'd ask a very hardcore Bernie voter, well, how is this going to happen? Well, once he's in place, it'll be popular and things will work. 
Yeah. What? Like, I'm... <laughs> Michelle, as you and I have discussed, we're basically lockstep with a lot of what Bernie wants to do, but mm-hmm. it's the, I guess, operational plan to get there that where it's kind of... I don't... It's hard <laughs> to see it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it. I guess like especially just within the last couple of years, I think you're right that we're kind of seeing it. Maybe we're noticing it in new ways. Um, I think with social media and now that everybody's been stuck at home so, mm-hmm. on social media, like even more than they were before, it's like it's it's been elevated and kind of, uh, I don't know, I, it just it surfaced more. You're right that like things are so terrible, this person will change everything. This one person mm-hmm. is what's going to save us. And, you know, it, but it's interesting when when you think about a hero, I just thought about it like who, what are saviors? Like what are heroes? Like let's really just break it down. Mm-hmm. And it's generally like a person whose morals and principles you admire and that shows strength during adversity mm-hmm. and is also self-sacrificing in a lot of ways. Very but really so. do, do we have any political people that are self-sacrificing? Like we're missing a big component of what, what it normally means to be a hero. Yeah. Cause that's, I think even most politicians would tell you that self-sacrifice isn't a thing. They might sacrifice someone else's. Uh, <laughs> right. Needs. But well, just like you said, a lot of Trump supporters, he, you know, he'll say all kinds of boisterous, ridiculous things. But as soon as he doesn't think that you're useful to him, he's not Mm going to save you. He'll 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 throw you out straight away. It's like, why would you want to follow and support a person that has absolutely no investment in you that Mm has couldn't care less about you? I had to laugh when. um... So after Trump signed his, again, nonsensical executive order trying to <laughs> bypass Congress to, like, re-up the CARES Act or the, or the whatever the HEROES Act, whatever they're calling it. Whatever they called it, yeah. <laughs> and SAS came out and just said this is unconstitutional, which uh, that, I don't know how many iterations of this plan he's come up with, at least he's talked about. Mm-hmm. All of them are slightly different, and none of them can actually pass constitutional muster. So, again, like, stepping all over your own message with your incompetence. And that was all Sass basically said was, like, we can't keep doing this. Like, we need to, like, not have these executive orders. We need to actually pass a budget. All that crap that uh, those guys like to say. And Trump came out and basically said, you asked me to endorse you in Nebraska, and you needed me, and now you're going against me. It's all about him. That's all it boils down to. In uh, Not to go off too far from what we're talking about, in that, Tubin sure. book, though, he discusses Comey's series of bad mistakes when it comes to dealing with Trump. Uh-huh. We're thinking, oh, I'll reason with the bully. Oh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll concede. I'll appease him. And sure. thinking, like, oh, he'll he'll understand that, and like we'll come to a, we'll come to an understanding. Nope, uh-huh. he's just going to come harder at you the next time. Right. It's like it's maybe that's what we're looking for as far as someone. I don't know if it's even a hero, but someone who's decent. Uh, to stand up against Trump and just go, no, um, uh, we're not going to, I'm not even going to vote for things that I want until you stop doing this. Mm -hmm. 
Because, mm-hmm. you know, how hard would that be, uh, Susan Collins, to, you know, when you say you think Trump learned his lesson and he clearly hasn't, yeah. tell him you won't confirm any new judges, uh, McConnell would go insane. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's not that hard. You're not necessarily no. sacrificing your political re- career. In fact, I keep wondering, too, and I know you and I have talked about this with Cory Gardner, what on earth is he thinking? Like, there was a time when he could have, he kind of stepped to Trump with, like, legalized marijuana, and mm-hmm. I think he could have saved himself maybe two or three years ago if he had just occasionally voted against him. Like, mm-hmm. even, what was the, uh, I think it was the executive order where Trump authorized moving funds from defense to building a stupid wall. Oh. And there are a bunch of, not a bunch, but few Republican senators that tried to, like, overturn the, uh, sorry, did he veto? Whatever he did. Um, I should research it. Anyways, <laughs> what uh, Gardner did was he voted not to overturn the veto, or I think that was the case, when he he could have voted yes, and it still wouldn't have made a difference. It was entirely symbolic, and he went the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, maybe that's part of this kind of looking for a hero, is just looking for someone who won't be horrifically wrong. <laughs> who won't be terrible yeah. all the time. <laughs> but I'm sorry, you were kind of getting more into the definition of hero. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, it's kind of rattled around in my head for the past week or so. And, it, you know, it's kind of hard to, to pin down um, exactly, like, what what we think that means. And I think there's so many different iterations to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. So I guess, I guess to kind of build that framework, like, already talking about Trump a little bit, it's like... He kind of makes sense in some ways as people's hero, especially because he purports himself to be a billionaire and we in America way over glorify yep. capitalism and and well, you, uh, you must be smart. What? Right. Yeah. And I mean, have we really had another politician that really just went at it like that? Like I like it didn't work for Ross Perot. No, and you know, there's been there's been plenty of uh, presidents. Uh, I guess I'm I'm thinking about it within the framework of presidents too, because I bought a new book that's all about presidents, and mm-hmm. so <laughs> that's kind of like what I've been thinking about a lot, anyways. But and there's lots of successful presidents, wealthy presidents. Like that's not surprising, but I don't think anybody like really pinned their ability to get elected solely on that. No, Romney sort of tried to do it. Like, hey, like, look at how successful I've been. And mm-hmm. that more, I think, alienated a lot of people. But I think some of that was because you probably see really my eyes. <laughs> I the did. Whole, uh, <laughs> he's a blue collar billionaire. Mm, okay. And I think that's just because he's uncouth and stupid. But, um, <laughs> and, you know, Romney just came across like he was speaking, or he got in front of too many focus groups. Oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I don't think there's been... I mean, even Nixon, who was not wealthy, but uh-huh. and who is... You and I have talked about it before, is often compared to Trump as far as temperament. Yeah. He tried to put on kind of a different face in public and then let his goons do all the work, be, you know, but, like, 
blowing people up behind the scenes mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. doing blatantly illegal things. So there's that too. <laughs> well, and I guess that's what Trump did, but just yep. as a private businessman, as opposed to a like career politician. So they yeah. have that in common too. <laughs> well, in like for Nixon, I was listening to a podcast too that talked about. Uh, obviously before he resigned he specifically went on tv and like read out loud to the american public like what his bank statement said mm-hmm. and like how little money he actually had and like how do you know much about that i thought that was kind of interesting like yeah. he's like he it's almost like he's throwing his, he was like really just throwing it all on the line there to try to save himself at that point if he it was, was to do something like that because uh he'd been called corrupt and stuff like that which he was um, right, and <laughs> two things. Uh, where do I have it in here? Because I can't really author. That's why I was looking to see if I've got the book in here or not. But uh, I'll try and remember to make a note with the show notes. Uh-huh. There's a book I read years ago, um, and it's Nixon versus Jack Anderson, mm. and it's kind of I think they say the rise of Washington's kind of scandal culture. Interesting. Where, okay. Um, Nixon just thought that everyone was corrupt, and part of his reward for being elected to political office was to take this money. Like, that was part of the payment. That wasn't anything criminal. That was simply him just taking advantage of his office. Mm-hmm. And the second part is because he hated the Kennedys so much and <laughs> res- just completely loathed and um, could not get over the fact that both the Kennedy boys came from a lot of money. He thought Mm -hmm. this was also a way to dirty up JFK by Mm -hmm. saying, Hey, like look at how much, how, look at how little money I have versus Mm -hmm. how much this guy has. Um, Mm -hmm. But come to think of it, I may actually be mistaken as far as the timing. Cause that may have been when he got into trouble while he was, Eisenhower is either candidate Eisenhower's VP, VP pick or his actual VP. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't realize that. And, okay. Um, random note, Eisenhower wanted nothing to do with him because he <laughs> thought he was a corrupt liar. <laughs> and he did not want any, that, any place near his campaign. But mm-hmm. from what I remember, <laughs> I still haven't finished Nixon land. It's just, it's so much. And especially yeah. right now, you're like, "What's happening? Is this is this real life right now?" Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Nixon could raise money, and Nixon was a skilled politician. And Eisenhower, I wasn't even trying to go here, was an actual hero to most. Right. Yeah. But was not a politician. Legit, not a politician. Right. Not a like. I've been trying to be a politician for decades, but no one wants to be a politician. Right. And also had no money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true, too. Huh. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's often a theme, too, is military heroes mm-hmm. um, stepping into the role of a political leader. Um, I was wondering, I, I haven't even thought this through yet, but I must wonder, do you think that kind of played a, a little note into Pete? Buttigieg's uh, run for office because of his it seemed like his military experience at least gave him an edge up in a lot of ways I think 
I think a lot of it was he just had kind of a more of a diverse background that we see as far as politicians, especially sure. a young one. Yeah. Where he'd served, um, you know, actually overseas too. It wasn't just he served in the military at a base here in the U.S. or uh, he actually, you know, went to Afghanistan. And mm -hmm. um, there's that. He worked for one of the most well renowned, well, depending on who you are, one of the most renowned uh, consulting firms in the business world as far as, uh, was it Kinsey and Associates or Kinsey Company? Something like that, yeah. And you know, then mayor of South Bend, Indiana, which, like a lot of cities in the Midwest, have been going through tough times for, what, the last 60 years? Pretty much, yeah. And so, yeah. I, I th But I do think the uh, there was a lot of attention, deservedly so, to his military service. And, of course, we always see it, too, ironically, from a party that's uh, elected a guy who can't remember which feet or which foot his bone spurs were in yeah <laughs> um and described stds he got in the 70s as his own personal vietnam and those people then attack the quality of Buttigieg's service mm -hmm. yeah 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 it's interesting huh <laughs> well yeah, it's and, interesting <laughs> you know well and the last president who actually served like Act, like hardcore was uh, Bush, the first Bush, mm -hmm. right? Yep. H.W. And then we had a, a, you know, that hippie Clinton. And then now we have a draft dodger. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like we've seen a lot of like not like guys who were able to avoid military service. Um, and what's interesting, too, is if you look back, I mean, speaking of Eisenhower, um, Nixon served in the Navy. Mm -hmm. um, so did JFK mm -hmm. uh, and LBJ I think was a little bit too old to have served but he did some stuff during World War II not military wise but I think kind of just traveled around um, in more of a diplomatic well he was I think a congressman at that point um, and then man I feel bad because I actually I think he was a nice person he just had terrible people in his administration uh, Ford mm-hmm and I don't know if Ford was in the military. Obviously, uh, Carter was. He was mm -hmm. a, sort of in the submarine because he's a nuclear engineer. And I, I don't say this to rip on him in any way. Ronald Reagan played a military person. <laughs> he did. He did. He did his part for the war effort, yeah. right? He made some movies. But I also <laughs> don't feel like, from my understanding, obviously I was either not born or barely born when he was president. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't recall if people say he was a patriot, but I don't recall this kind of like he's he's a military kind of guy, which I get from Trump, where he oh he supports the veterans and he stands up for the flag and calls Colin Kaepernick a son of a bitch. So it's like <laughs> he's an honorary veteran. Hmm. What? <laughs> yep. Yeah, and even uh, Al Gore, I believe, served in the Marines. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. I didn't and know that. Bush whatever you want to say about his uh, speaking of level of service yes, he was yes. at least in the Texas Air National Guard doing something doing of, some stuff yeah of some variety at some point <laughs> so there's that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think yeah there was a, for a long time this idea that to be in public service you had to have been in that kind of public service as well 
Yeah. And uh, Trump has never been in any sort of service except for himself. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. I might cut some of this just Trump attacks off because we're getting off points. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I was the one that suggested maybe we could use them as a framework, at least for our first Good point. Our first discussion here. <laughs> the way to think about a political savior is really like that cult of personality yes. concept which we see with like authoritarians and wannabe authoritarians <laughs> all the time. I was but, just thinking about the, sorry to cut you off. Um, no, you're fine. Continue. Cause you and I have talked about before this whole, like the mythology that we learn as, as learned as history. Mm -hmm. And so I think maybe some of that is like the hero who's the hero at the time, rather than like looking back and mythologizing is, are we then instantaneously mythologizing these people Ooh, as they go yes. along? So yeah. when someone does something horrible, either you just overlook that and look for the one thing that they did or in some cases never did or you wish they would do and mm -hmm. you give them credit for that. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, I think th I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. And it's almost like that that the power of their myth of their of their myth, their mm -hmm. mythology, it, it's almost like it can ebb and flow too, in real time. Because, um, like, who would have ever thought at the end of W. Bush's presidency that there was a hot minute where he was he had 90 percent approval ratings? You know, it's so important to think about not just the person that's yeah. the cult of personality or the hero, but also like the con, like contextualize them with the events going on around them mm -hmm. at the same time and how they react to them. Yeah, I remember the uh, George Bush legacy polishing tour. It was like, this seems nakedly vapid. Like, are we all forgetting <laughs> what happened? <laughs> and to be fair, I think we have forgotten what's happened. Yeah. And some of that is because just this Republicans have become so bad that because <laughs> there are people, I mean, obviously no one would consider him to be a conservative anymore. He's considered an apostate, but uh, David Frum wrote that young people would never vote for a conservative again or a Republican mm -hmm. because of how bad Bush was. Mm. Well, that didn't last very long. <laughs> it sure didn't. There's plenty of young people that vote conservative. It's true. I think what maybe Frum didn't remember is perhaps... Uh, the demographic that was young when Bush was in office would be less like, not less likely, but more so likely to vote Democratic. Mm -hmm. But there's plenty of young people that just were probably like, you know, sort of like we were during uh, Clinton and then the early Bush years, which just weren't really paying attention. So you don't remember mm -hmm. how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then again, we're probably, yeah, I was about to say we're probably too hard on Trump, but. It's hard to find anything where you're like, no, I think he's trying. You know, and I, I guess, like, just thinking about those two figures who both had hardcore fans, hardcore voting, this, you know, this block of voters that was always showing up for them. It's like, well, Bush was at least a nice guy. Mm -hmm. So it's like that in a lot of ways almost... Not erases, but it just it it puts a nice cover over the horrible wars uh, 
or, well, yeah, specifically Iraq that was initiated by him mm -hmm. that cost hundreds of thousands of lives and brought on the rise of ISIS and all these terrible things. But right, but here, 10 years, you know, 10, what is it, 12 years since he left office? Yep. It's like, ah, oh, he seemed like a nice guy. Which I will, uh, I, I've said this to my dad, and he's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, no, he seems like an, honestly, like a nice person, like someone you'd, you'd like to be around. He just morally did a lot of horrible things. And um, another thing we also see as far as with Trump is I think incompetence and moral corruption spread mm -hmm. like wildfire throughout the administration. So mm. um, there are people that did stuff that was horrible because he didn't stop them. Or mm -hmm. I think about this in the case of uh, what Trump has done with not just the Office of Homeland Security, but like um, ICE and stuff like that, where mm -hmm. they're like, hey, I bet the boss will like this. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, Carl Rove was seated in the White House, so everything he did had a weird, conservative, politically calculus to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is strange, though. We, we, we have someone who's, I don't mind if they're kind of dumb and occasionally lie, but I want to believe they're at least human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that, and that's part of the problem with all all political saviors is that they are, at the end of the day, still just a human being. Mm-hmm. And we all carry baggage, and uh, things can go horribly amiss. <laughs> it's true. Um, I think I've told you about this before. Have you watched uh, Succession on HBO? No, I haven't. Not so, yet. It's you know kind of the plot of King Lear, which is you know a classic one. Yeah, yeah. But it's you kind of feel like it's loosely based off of the uh, Murdoch family. That makes sense. Yeah. And there's one character who obviously you're set up to because you you see him the most. So you're obviously like, this is the guy I'm supposed to like. Uh -huh. And they're all horrible people. <laughs> but he's the only one that seems like the most human. Oh, really? Like you huh. see his flaws and you're like, oh. And when he does bad stuff, you're like, oh, he's doing that because he's trying to please somebody. Or like it's out of revenge. Like it's, it's all bad. Yeah. But he's the only one that really seems like you have these glimpses of humanity into him. Mm. And I've said the same thing about like, cause he's terrible, but about John jr. Where you see like he's, his flaws pop up and you're like, it seems like he's not trying, well, he's trying to hide them, but he can't mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. where with the rest of his children and including himself, you're like, is there anybody actually in there? Or is this just like <laughs> a lying narcissistic nihilist, robot program running like ugh. I, I might take this out too but did you listen to or even he probably wrote about it but years ago like three maybe two or three years ago uh i listened to oh it wasn't actually the weeds it was an episode of left right and center oh. where they had maddie inglesias on okay and he, basically his thing was that in a lot of ways, our system of government is kind of outmoded, kind of for the scale. Mm 
mm. where you know it it's hard to have a representative democracy just because of how big everything is mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it may have worked more when there was a relatively small country and mm. um, you know maybe 20 states mm-hmm. so you have 40 senators and a relatively small house of representatives but the mm-hmm. bigger it's gotten the more dysfunctional it has gotten mm. maybe because that was not how it was designed to work right and his he also discusses that's why you see more presidents going for executive action because it's hard to get things done and now especially with social media and people crying instantly like get things done mm-hmm. well what do you do you try and get things done and i've defended obama as far as executive action because he had senators from the get-go that said we are not going to do anything you want ever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what's what's that how's that supposed to work and mm-hmm. it seems like it's not apples to apples because with Trump it was, no, we, we agree with some of the stuff you want to do, but why are you throwing in ridiculous things like border like wall funding and other things that don't make any sense? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that's the same, but I wonder too if that's part of why we're kind of looking more for strong men and why maybe we're, as a society, more okay with it mm-hmm. because it looks like the representative part isn't working as well. That's very true, and that's been just a, 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 a steady change, like over the last half century in particular. Um, the executive branch getting so much more powerful, mm-hmm. and it always, you know, and it's always the ones that that say, "Oh, the executive is too powerful. I'm going to go in and change it," and then they expand the power yep. the most. Yeah, to give it back. Well, it's hard to once mm-hmm. you have the power. It's hard to give it back, and uh, you know, and it's it's easy to admire somebody that just goes in and takes action, and but at the same time, it's like to what end, to what consequence? Who is he here to save? Is he going to save all of us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it gets kind of messy. Well, in, in the case of Obama, from what I've read, you had a lot of kind of people he brought on after he was elected who were, they were called the realists or whatever who kind of understood how things went and mm-hmm. they're like whoa 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 like you want to keep this in your back pocket you don't want to take that option off the table like when you allow yourself to to work and i think until we kind of get a president or in this instance i thought back when i was in my kind of uh different stages of uh grief after trump got elected and it was yeah. in kind of my bargaining phase. It was, yeah. well, you know, maybe what the Republicans will do is go, hey, Democrats, this is a great opportunity to rein in the executive because we have somebody who most Americans agree is pretty dim mm-hmm. and is going to try and do things, things that he should not do. So let's use this as an opportunity to make that happen. But mm-hmm. because they've all been around for a while too, they're like, no, we're going to make this uh, go through, and you had uh, Tubin writes that Don McGahn really wanted nothing to do with Trump, and he was really kind of more put there because people around Trump knew how influential he was with the Senate. McConnell loves McGahn, and mm-hmm. McGahn was a part of his uh, court packing plan. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, 
Yep, they uh, they used it for opportunity to do something else. Mm-hmm. Not to actually fix anything, they used it to make things worse, as it were. Yeah, to go beyond uh, the checks and balances and just totally reshift things in a way that was never intended. Mm-hmm. As uh, David Ferris wrote, to keep adding more ammunition to McConnell's uh, policy war, or not policy war, what do you call it? Procedural war, that's the word. There you go. Yeah. And, yeah, just finding ways to uh, keep digging in on that to make it more more and more difficult if they ever did lose the presidency or the Senate or the House, that it'd be Uh harder for them to, uh, be harder to, for the majority to rule as they're supposed to, and the minority could keep doing what they want to do. So that Wire podcast I love to listen to, uh-huh. they were talking about kind of one of the things you see in that show is what kind of the worst things happen, whether it be law enforcement, government, or in the, the part of the series they're talking about now, actual like criminality, mm-hmm. is when the point is winning and maintaining power as mm. opposed to actually like not even just doing the right thing, but doing the thing that will actually help you. Mm-hmm. If it's all about just winning or beating somebody else, it's not going to work out for either of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, do you have a good thing of the week? I was trying to think of one because... <laughs> and it's not that, like, that's... I think the problem is that everything has been so good not like great but like yeah above average fine like there's nothing like really, there's nothing to really complain about it's like everything's fine and um mm-hmm. uh so like i got a silly thing where we had i'll send you a picture the dogs had created this kind of dirt situation in the backyard for like their play <laughs> spots uh-huh and they were like i'd never seen the house with just some like it wasn't dust. It was legit dirt. <laughs> and I was like, uh, middle of July, I guess I'll try and put down some grass seed. I'm like, none of it's going to come in. Well, about, I'd say 60%, maybe 70%. I might be being low on that. Uh-huh. And, and so I'm going to put down some more grass seed this weekend. Um, nice. It's also, Michelle, you remember this from last year. It's not insanely hot here right now, like in the 80s. Mm. So it's like, that's, I mean, which is kind of weird though. It's like, where did August go? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've been telling people this to try and get them to not go, oh, we've all read this before as far as Tubin's new book. Uh huh. Because there really is like, it's all the stuff we've heard before. Yes. But he uses some new threads to tie it together. And there mm-hmm. is some new stuff too. Like, oh, I hadn't heard that part of it. Okay. And so it's like, oh, I read that in this book. I read that in this book and I read that in this book. But I didn't see how they necessarily tied together in this fashion. Okay. So those are my uh, random good things of the week. But good. Uh, yeah, I don't really have anything that's like not just like eh, I put grass seed down. <laughs> <Coming in. laughs> what about hey, you? That's okay, <laughs> that's still a good thing. Yeah. Um, I know. It's like well, I don't really have any bad things of the week, so that's that's been a nice change. Uh, I would say it's just been nice trying to read more, mm-hmm. like really just take that, that active step to not be on my phone and not be worrying about work and not be worrying about everything and just learning new things. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm going to call that my good thing of the week. I'm actually going to 
jump back in. I think I've got an actual good thing of the week. Where, Excellent. Um, so with my new-ish position, like I, people always laugh about this, where I'm like constantly getting promoted. Okay. But it's always the assistant to the regional manager where it's like, <laughs> it's essentially the same position. I'm yeah. just doing a little different things and getting a little bit more to do each time. Okay. Because I've proven myself. And so for this one, I am actually, my charge is to be the dedicated rep that covers all of the construction sales for the light rail extension near my house. Yeah. So it goes from, if you remember, you're up here, the uh, Northgate Mall area. Yeah. Yeah, I, re I remember. To uh, further north than we went when you were here. Okay. And so, like, which is awesome to begin with, but mm -hmm. it's cool getting to know that, like, I like see all these plans come across my desk where they're like, we're going to like, start building this bridge, and this is one small process we're going to do to build this one small part of it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm at, like from the very, like the ground up here, literally where it's, wow, they're trying to help me spec in how to do it. And then mm -hmm. on Tuesday of next week, I was just talking with my contacts with one of my customers. Like, hey, I, I haven't actually met you before. Can I like come out there and see you? So it's not just on the phone. And he's like, yeah, I'll show you like how this uh, light rail station that I'm building, like what it's going to look like. And oh, like where we're starting off, I'm like I'm gonna get That's to uh, cool. you know see something that if I'm still in this area and however many years ago, yeah, like I was on this before, like when it was just dirt. <laughs> <laughs> you get to see the very beginnings of right. it. That's kind of neat. Cool. That sounds great. Yeah, it's. That's one of the things I, I try and do as far as work goes, and I think I have a little bit more uh, opportunity to do that than you do, where it's <laughs> find the cool stuff and really focus on that. And, yeah, yeah. And yeah, as we've absolutely. said, too, uh, dealing with the general public will sometimes make you have bad feelings about customers, as where oh, now sure <laughs> I don't have to deal with the general public anymore. I just go out and talk to people that we talk the same language and they want to see me and I want to see them. <laughs> and it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Cause you, I mean, you've, I mean, we, we met how many years ago at borders? Like you really like paid your dues and yeah. <laughs> you know, you worked really hard to get away from the general public. So that's, that's awesome. I went back to them for about a year <laughs> <laughs> while trying to do my other job. Right. At the same time. Yeah. <laughs> And it was not easy, huh? <laughs> no, but uh, my boss pointed out that he thinks I'm a better employee for having done that. And it no. makes me think of the uh, Michael Scott's line when Jan shows up and sees them watching movies and yes. asks them how they're going to get their work done. And he says, because they kind of have to. And that's <laughs> what I learned was you don't know when you're going to get interrupted. So get all your work done as fast as possible. <laughs> Right. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, God, nobody's here. Yeah. I better start working on stuff. <laughs> oh, I better try and close out this $20,000 sale before someone comes in and buy, like, two screws. Like, oh, God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> good talk. Yeah, we'll uh, do some work up here, and we'll get back to it uh, next week or something. That sounds great. I'd really like to do that. I'll try and uh, 
work on more specifics and uh, I look forward to t- talking about this topic a lot more. So. Same here. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Noel.